Dharmavahini Chapter 2 Divine Dharma versus Worldly Dharma Dharma cannot be restricted to any particular society or nation, for it is closely bound with the fortunes of the entire living world. It is a flame of light that can never be extinguished. It is unlimited in its beneficent action. Lord Krishna taught the Gita to Arjuna, but he intended it for the whole of humanity. Arjuna was just an excuse. That very Gita is today correcting all of mankind. It is not for any particular caste, religion or nation. It is the very breath for humans everywhere. Dharma expresses itself in a variety of forms. Sometimes it is known by the people who codified it like Manu Dharma. Sometimes by the group that followed it like Caste Dharma. Sometimes by the stage of life to which it is applied like Householder Dharma and so forth. But these are subsidiary practical details and not the fundamental norm. The Atma Dharma, the Divine Dharma, is what I am speaking of. Practical Dharma, or rules of good behavior, that is Achara Dharma, relates to temporary matters and problems and physical needs to one's passing relationships with the objective world. The very instrument of those rules, the human body, is itself not permanent. So how then can these dharmas be eternal? How can their nature be described as true? The eternal cannot be expressed by the evanescent. Truth cannot reveal itself in untruth. Light cannot be procured from darkness. The eternal can emerge only from the eternal. Truth can emanate only from truth. Therefore the objective codes of dharma relating to worldly activities and daily life, though important in their own sphere, have to be followed with the full knowledge and consciousness of the inner basic Atma Dharma. Then only can the internal and external urges cooperate and yield the bliss of harmonious progress. If in your daily avocations you translate the real values of eternal Dharma into love-filled acts, then your duty to the inner reality, the Atma Dharma, is also fulfilled. Always build your living on the Atmic base. Then your progress is assured. Making God into stone, that is the effort being made today. How can such effort lead to truth, when the real task is to see the stone as God? First, the form of the Godhead has to be meditated upon and imprinted on the consciousness. Then, that form has to be conceived within the stone, and the stone forgotten in the process, until the stone is transformed into God.
In the same way, you have to imprint on your consciousness the basic dharma, the fundamental fact of atma as the only entity. Then, filled with that faith and vision, you have to deal with the manifold world of objects, its attractions and impingements. The ideal can be realized only thus. If this is done, there is no danger of the authentic meaning getting diluted or of Atma-Dharma losing its luster. What happens when a stone is worshipped as God? The unlimited, the ever-present, the all-pervading immanent entity, the absolute, is visualized in the particular, in the stone. Similarly, dharma that is universal, equal and free, can be spotted and tested in a single concrete act. Do not be misled by the idea that this is not possible. Don't you accomplish many difficult things? Things that only increase your anxiety and fear? If one is wise, can't one take up instead things that are more worthwhile, things that give peace of mind? To be free is your birthright, not to be bound. It is only when you guide your steps along the path illumined by the universal unbound dharma that you are really free. If you stray away from the light, you get bound and you are caught. Some might raise a doubt. How can dharma, which sets limits on thoughts and words and regulates and controls, make a person free? Freedom is the name that you give to a certain type of bondage. Genuine freedom is obtained only when delusion is absent when there is no identification with the body and senses, no servitude to the objective world. People who have escaped from the servitude and achieved freedom in the genuine sense are very few in number. Bondage lies in every act done with the consciousness of the body as the self, for one is then the plaything of the senses. Only those who have escaped this fate are free. This freedom is the ideal stage to which dharma leads. With this stage constantly in mind, one who engages in the activity of living can become a liberated person, a mukta purusha. It is only because you bind yourself that you become bound and stray away from the dharmic path. It is always so. No other person can bind you. You do it yourself. If faith in God's omnipresence is deep-rooted, you would be aware that He is yourself and that you could never be bound. For that faith to grow, you must grasp atmic bliss firmly. The reality of the Atma is the bedrock, the incontrovertible wisdom, Nishchita Jnana.
Devoid of that foundation, you become the target of doubt, despair and delusion. The maid of dharma will not wed such. Therefore, first endeavor to become free. That is to say, as a preliminary to successful living, cultivate faith in the Atma as the core of your personality and then learn and practice the discipline necessary to reach down to that core. With that qualification acquired, you can engage fully in worldly activities following the dharma prescribed for their regulation. Then you become a moral individual, dharma purusha. Those who hold the physical objective world as the all of life and the body as the self lead wasted lives. Lives as meaningless as making God into stone. Making the stone into God is the holier, more wholesome task. So too, seeing divine duty, that is, Atma-Dharma, in an act, transforms the act into an act of worship, elevates it, and removes its binding characteristic. Performing the duties of worldly life with no regard to genuine practice of the law of truth, Satya Dharma, is as unholy as treating God as stone. Good behavior, Achara Dharma, Pursued apart from the law of truth, Satya Dharma, and the law of truth divorced from good behavior are both barren of results. Good behavior and the law of truth are inextricably intertwined and should be treated as such. The senior officer needs the work of the junior official as much as the junior official needs the help of the senior officer. Who then is the bound one and who the free? Both are bound to their desire to be happy and comfortable. Until the fundamental secret of the Atma is recognized, the outer state of bondage will persist. When that is done, the burden of slavery to the senses and the objective world will be diminished. Then the code of behavior toward the objective world will be merged with the code toward the inner divinity, and the urges will all be cooperating harmoniously. The Vedanta, the scriptures relating to the Supreme Spirit, are the Atmik Shastra and Dharma all invite man to live and act as God, Bhagavan, and not as bondsman. Then all acts become virtuous acts, Dharma Karma, and not acts done with intent to gain the fruits thereof, Kamya Karma. The shackles of bondage cannot be avoided by a mere change of type of activity. They can be avoided only by changing the point of view from the created to the creator, from deha to the deva. 
thereby the moral qualities will also be rendered stronger. Some people hold the opinion that being employed is bondage, while sitting at home without any specific work is freedom. This is a sign of want of intelligence. When employed in a job, one has to obey the superior officer. But can one escape the demands and compulsions of relations even while at home? When amidst friends, can one avoid the necessity of acting according to their fancy? Can one be free, at least from the need to take care of one's own body and cater to one's own comfort? How then can one feel free while in the cage of bondage? All life is a prison, whatever the difference between one type of sentence and another. It is so as long as the attitude of identifying the self with the body is there. That is why Shankara once said that egoism based on the body is what is meant by hell or naraka. Egoism of this kind is just another form of the contra-divine attitude. Who can remove all the thorns and pebbles from the face of the earth? The only way to avoid them is to move about with footwear. So too, with the philosophy of Vedanta, with the vision fixed on the reality, Satya, with full faith in the Brahman, which is your own essential nature, you can bypass the need to transform the external world to suit your ideal of happiness and attain the practice of truth, Satya Dharma. That one is already liberated who tramples down egoism and declares with conviction thus, I am not the bondsman of this body, which is the repository of all types of servitude. The body is my bondsman. I am the master and the manipulator of everything. I am the embodiment of freedom. All codes of duties must help in this process of destruction of the ego. They should not foster it and make it grow wild. That is the road to freedom. If a person finding life with the son miserable goes to the daughter and lives in her house, that is not winning freedom. That is only a way of feeding the ego. This search for sensual happiness cannot be elevated into dharma. After all, what is a home for? for the enjoyment of the bliss derived from the contemplation of the Lord, for getting the opportunity to meditate on the Lord undisturbed. All the rest can be ignored, but not these. The true dharma of the individual is to taste the bliss of merging with the absolute and to attain true liberation. A person who has reached that stage can never be bound, even if put in the grimmest of prisons. On the other hand, for a person who is the slave of the body, even a blade of grass can become an instrument of death. True dharma is to be immersed in atmic bliss, 
the inner vision, the steady faith in the identity of one's real nature with the absolute, and the realization that all is Brahman. These four are the authentic dharma. In this physical existence as particular individuals, these four are named truth, peace, love and non-violence, satya, shanti, prema and ahimsa, for the convenience of practice, but yet saturated with the inner dharma of atmic reality. So that particular individuals who are also personifications of that absolute can follow them in daily life. The mode of pursuit of dharma now as in the past is to adhere to these high principles in every act and thought. The truth, peace, love and non-violence of today are but the uninterrupted immersion in atma. The vision fixed on the inner truth, the contemplation of one's real nature, and the knowledge that all is Brahman, the one and only. These, the fundamental and the derived, must be coordinated and harmonized. Then only can it be termed Atma Dharma. It does not matter what your activity is or what name and form you have chosen. A chain is a chain whatever the material. It binds whether it is iron or gold, doesn't it? So too, whether the work is of this type or that, as long as the Atma Dharma is the base and the absolute principle is the root, it is Dharma beyond doubt. Such work will bless one with the fruit of peace or shanti. When the waves of egoist fear or greed drive one forward into the privacy of the home, the loneliness of the forest or any other refuge, it is impossible to escape suffering. The cobra does not cease to be a cobra when it lies coiled. Then too it is cobra. In daily practice, when acts are motivated by the basic principle of the reality of the Atma, every act becomes stamped with the seal of Dharma. But when acts are motivated by convenience and selfish interest, the Dharma becomes pseudo-Dharma. It is a variety of bondage, however attractive it may be. Like prisoners in a jail, pushed in a single file by wardens, either to the court of trial or to the dining barracks. The prompting of the senses pushes the bondsman forward either to a place of sorrow or a place of relief. Why, even the feeling that is a friend or this is an enemy is an error. This delusion has to be given up. The Lord, the embodiment of love or prema, is the only constant friend, relative, companion, guide and protector. Know this and live in that knowledge. This is dharma built on the bedrock of understanding. This is life built on the bedrock of dharma. 
Ignoring this fundamental basis, when attention is concentrated on external polish, the goal moves beyond reach. Attachment to the world can be destroyed only by attachment to the Lord. Why complain that the ground cannot be seen when all the while your gaze is fixed on the sky? Watch the ground and look at the sheet of water that reflects the sky. Then you can see at the same time the sky above and the earth below. So too to adhere to the law of truth of Satya Dharma, which after all is the practice of the immanent Atmic principle, you must see in every act the reflection of the glory of the Atma. Then attachment to the Lord will transmute attachment to the world into a pure offering. The goal should not be altered or lowered. That is to say, the essentials should be kept intact. Dharma does not depend on the various names and forms that its application entails. They are not so basic. Dharma depends more on the motives and the feelings that direct it and canalize it.